Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm the managing partner of of Bradyware Arpeggio, a data-driven management consultancy which brings clarity to owners and managers of unique businesses facing unique strategic decisions. Our parent, Brady Ware & Company, is sponsoring this podcast. Brady Ware is a public accounting firm with offices in Dayton, Ohio, Alpharetta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, and Richmond, Indiana. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group that doesn't suck. So please join that as well if you would like to engage. Today's topic is, should I have my business valued every year? And um, this is a topic that I have uh, avoided. It has been suggested to me that I really should be doing more valuation stuff because uh, at least nominally, that's the, that's the field that I'm in. Um, but to be perfectly candid, I've, I've been reluctant to do it because I didn't know how to do it in a way that just wasn't completely self-serving. And uh, those of you who know this podcast, who have hung around and listened to a few of these, you know that I have no interest in turning this thing into an infomercial. Uh, you know, we put information out there that that we hope and believe is useful to our audience. We bring experts on that can talk about the topic and, and just sort of let it go at that. Um, but the fact of the matter is that va- valuation of a business is important. And it's important for a lot of reasons, whether you're thinking of selling your business, you're positioning it to be transferred to a family member or somebody else. Um, there's tax planning implications, all, all kinds of reasons why you ought to know, or at least have some idea as to the value of your business should you decide to sell it or another business should you decide to buy it. But I didn't want to get on here and basically just do a monologue and again be sort of Ron Popeil selling the selling the Ronco rotisserie Showtime grill, which by the way, as an aside, is fantastic. I've had one for like 15 years. I got one as a Christmas present for my mother, and I thought for sure this is gonna be one of these things that goes into the attic with like 25 years of fruitcake. But I'll tell you the damn thing works. It actually does make the best tasting chicken and turkey we've ever had. So um, they're not a, a, a sponsor of the show. And as far as I know, Mr. Popeil, I actually think passed away about 10 years ago. Um, uh, but, uh, anyway, that's sort of, sort of an aside there. If you're thinking of getting one, go ahead and get one. Cause I think they're, I think they're pretty neat. Um, so helping me out here to make sure that this isn't uh, an infomercial and frankly, just to sort of, sort of keep me in line is, uh, my friend joining us from Washington state, Doug Marshall who is a founding partner in Marshall and Valesis LLC. He's focused on helping owners get the planning they deserve to protect the wealth, income, and legacy of their business. Along with his partner, Peter Valesis, he created Business Value Protection Planning, a system designed to deliver planning that starts with the valuation 
of a business. Knowing the current value of a business helps an owner make better decisions for the business. It helps the owner make better decisions for growth, for protecting the business value and decisions to help unlock business value. And I think that second part is, is very important and is very overlooked, especially when times are good. Um, but protecting value is, is so important. And I, I think that it's not as sexy as growth or profit, but boy, building resilience into your business or as, as Nicholas Taleb would say, anti-fragility into your business. Um, I, I think that it is a, uh, an incredibly important concept that uh, maybe we'll dig more, dive more deeply into it in another, in another show. Uh, previously, Doug has worked with Nationwide, Manulife, John Hancock, and the Corporate Products Division, where he developed and marketed corporate-owned and bank-owned life products. He has been associated with Penn Mutual on the brokerage side as well. He's located in Seattle, Washington, where the state is home to over 400 craft breweries. Much of his focus is working with brewery owners, a fascinating manufacturing industry. That's something that, that we have a guy in our practice, who Owen Sizemore, does a bunch of as well. If you're ever in Seattle, he'll be more than happy to take you on a tour. Um, so with that, I'd like to, uh, I'd, I'd like to welcome Doug Marshall to the Decision Vision podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. So um, explain to our listeners, of course, I know the answer to this question, but most of our listeners don't. Um, what is a business valuation? Well, it doesn't come with a set of steak knives. So, so we definitely are not doing a, a, an infomercial here. But, you know, a, a, I think that most business owners have a notional value of what their business is worth because they talk to other business owners, right? Yet at the same time, very few go through the formal process of getting a valuation, of having somebody take all of their financial data, look at what the business is expected to do over the next few years, and come up with a number that says, this is what your business is worth. And, uh, you know, having that knowledge, you know, is rather important. So, you know, in your practice, in my practice, you know, what we will do when we're working with a business owner is we'll collect three, maybe five years of historical financial data We'll do an interview and, you know, we'll find out, you know, what the business owner is about and what's going on with the business. And we'll do a projection of what the expected cash flows are to be. And we'll come up with a number. And there are a number of different valuation numbers. You know, there's equity value. And I don't expect that we'll go into all this detail now, but there's equity value, asset sale value, enterprise value, liquidation value, you know, book value. So there are a number of different measures and a number of different ways to look at the value of a business. But it's important for an owner to know. Does that answer the question all right for what we wanted to do? Well, I think so. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, evaluation is a, you know, it sounds like is a, is a third party. And I think importantly, an independent view as to what the business is at least ostensibly worth. Um, let, let, let me ask this. I want to, I'm very curious to get your, to get your view on this. Um, in your experience, do you think that more business owners are likely to think their business is more than it's worth? It's actually worth what it would likely sell for or less than what it would likely sell for? In other words, are, are business owners too optimistic or too pessimistic? Uh, you know, I think that I think it's 50 50, you know, and I think it also depends on their mood. You know, they could have come off a crappy week and they could say, wow, you know, I'm just not, you know, 
I'm not that optimistic that anybody's interested in my business. I don't know how to transfer it. My kids, kids aren't inter- interested in it. So they kind of, they, they don't really know. And then, you know, they'll be with their buddies. I mean, business owners tend to hang with business owners. And I know this is true in the brewery business, but, you know, they'll say, you know, my business is worth, you know, certain multiple of earnings or EBITDA, and there will be this rule of thumb in there. Uh, but it's not necessarily, you know, what their business is worth. And I also want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, I can value a business for $10 million that sells for $13 million. But that was kind of a strategic per- purchase, you know, possibly. So just because I come up with a range of value, you come up with a range of value, uh, doesn't mean that that's what the business is going to sell for. So ultimately, if somebody's looking to sell a business, which is usually why people think that they should get a valuation, uh, they're in a position where they're, they're, they may or may not get that number. But I think it's all over the map. Yeah, and, and I think that that I think that 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 point is is very important. And in, in that, you know, defining value is actually deceptively hard. And, and and you know, Warren Buffett would say, you know, where price is what you pay, value is what you get. We know the technical defini- definitions of value in terms of buying and willing informed seller and, and buyer. Um, uh, but you know, and. The, the fact of the matter is that that most of the time, an asset, particularly if it's not on a liquid, on a liquid public market, an asset trades for it something that can be quite far from what you and I might say is fair value, and that's because the markets aren't all that efficient. Right, because it's very it's very limited, and you know, people don't really pay attention to that. But and you also might be a minority shareholder, so your value is less. You might not have marketability of your stock, so your value is less. You might have controlling interest, so your value is more. Uh, yeah, but lack of marketability really creates a problem to get a true value for for an owner. That's that's why I think it's so important to know the value well in advance of any event that takes place, so that you're not caught off guard. Now, in, in your in your practice, what is involved in a business valuation? You talked about about reviewing and analyzing historical financial data up to five years, but I imagine it's 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 much more than that. Can you can you share with our audience kind of what other processes and procedures enter into a business valuation process? Well, I know that we're going to get to this question later, but predominantly, I'm using an online algorithmic system called BizEquity. And the reason for that is that I'm trying to not have the the valuation process get in the way of the answer that the business owner really, really needs. And that is approximately how much is my business worth? And this is well in advance of when they're looking to sell it. So that the business owner can put in three years of financial data, we can do some projections out, and we come up with a report that will give them insight into the different valuation numbers for them. And it's important to know because if you're going to do a buy-sell agreement with a partner, uh, you know you want to know that that business is approximately worth seven and a half million dollars, and you want to know that if I need to buy out my partner, it's going to cost me three and a half if that's what we agree to. So uh, our process is relatively simple because we want fast, inexpensive, in, in, and non-intrusive. Typically, in a lot of the work that you do, Mike, uh, it entails a lot of time and a lot of expense, and you're worth it. 
But that's because you're trying to grind down the numbers so that you can support it legally uh, from a tax standpoint, or you might have a litigation matter, or you're doing something that's highly uh, subjective saying, I don't know what the future holds. So here's this range, you know, if anybody knows about, about your practice and the things that you do. I think one of the primary reasons, I think there are two primary reasons why business owners don't typically get evaluation. And the first reason is time and expense. It's just like, you know, it's, it, it's too much time. And, you know, owners want to have, they have drive and discipline to grow their business. They're not looking to spend time doing this other stuff that's not directly growing their business. And to be quite honest, for, you know, since more than 90% don't keep valuations current, 90% of business owners don't keep valuations current, business has gotten along fine without having formal valuations done on a regular basis, right? I mean, it's not like yep. we're seeing businesses collapse because they haven't done these valuations. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, if, if if they need valuations to succeed, the, the business would be thriving. We'd have more than 10,000 professionals doing valuations throughout the country, but that's that's not the case. So normally, I think, and I think people also, owners also think that the only time that I really need evaluation is when I'm contemplating doing something like a gifting program, which is that's required. Uh, like if I'm going to sue somebody, that might be required. If I'm going to transfer ownership, that's going to be required. So they're only doing it when they're required to do it. And I think having that knowledge well in advance makes a lot of sense for them, though. You know, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, reasons why business owners don't do valuations. I actually think there's a third, and I'd love to get your view on it. Yeah. And that is that I think that our profession has a little bit of a credibility problem. Um, I, I think that, and for some reason, our profession largely is kind of okay with this. I think we have too much of a sense of humor about it. Um, but, but I think we're too willing to cave into the argument that value is what somebody's willing to pay for it, which I'm, I'm not going to off ramp on, off ramp onto that. There's a Freudian slip there because I could easily rant on that for an hour. Um, mm -hmm. but I do think that, I do think that a lot of people don't know that there are people who do what we do. And I think our profession, frankly, has done a poor job of, of explaining to people, to, the, to the, the public, what goes into a business valuation or appraisal. Uh, and I want to, I think there's a distinction there that you're kind of illustrating very nicely, actually. Um, and, and, and I think that there's a, you know, our profession hasn't done enough to say, you know, look, there, there actually is some. There is some method to the madness here. It really isn't just shaking a magic eight ball, but there is some there is some rigor that that you know can can lead you to make better decisions if you if you allow it. Oh, by all means, uh, you know I, mean, I always talk to owners about if an unexpected opportunity comes along, how are you going to measure that opportunity if you don't really know the value of your business? You know, you know, for your business, is that going to you know, positively or negatively impact the value of my business? And should I be keeping, you know, and sometimes what we will do with owners is we'll do what ifs. We'll say, if you change this cash flow, if you reduce this expense, if you, you know, if you add this payroll, how much, you know, additional revenue is that going to create? How much risk is that creating for you, the owner? How much opportunity is that creating for you with, you know, growing your wealth? And you have to be really careful with a business because you, you, you mentioned this before. It's an illiquid and concentrated asset. We, it's, it's unlike anything else that somebody owns on the personal side. 
And that creates a lot more risk. So knowing the value you know, does, make a lot, does make a lot of sense. So we touched on it, but I want to make sure we hit this clearly because I think it's, it's, it's central to the conversation. And, and that is, what exactly are the reasons why a company would want to have a valuation of their business done on a regular basis, whether it's annually, semi-annually, biannually? What are the reasons for that? Yeah, you know, even if the business is level is 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 uh, just kind of is not growing, it's just you know pretty steady in sales. It's doing you know, ten million dollars of sales a, a year. Its expenses remain relatively the same. I think just the very discipline of going through the process and establishing the value for the business, which might have a little bit of variation because of external factors, you know, uh, the, the the economic climate and interest rates, of course. But just you know, being able to show that this is something you were paying attention to, I mean, it's not too different from showing that you've got good books and you can account for the money over the past five to 10 years. That shows that you were a disciplined business person and, and that you know, your business has some value based on that. You want to show that you are a well-run business. So knowing the value also you know, puts, you in, puts you in that position of just being able to make better decisions on a regular basis. And then you also understand what drives the value. Very often we will talk about, okay, what's your, what's your equity value and what's your liquidation value? I think this is, those are two important numbers for a business owner to understand when it comes to protecting the value of your business. And this is a practical matter. So your business value might be worth $10 million as a going concern, but only two or three million dollars if they have to if you just have to shut the doors because you haven't done any proper planning or you become illiquid. So that's the amount that's at risk. And I think facing that risk every year motivates someone to do some planning uh, to, to make sure that that's protected. You know, you know, our buddy Chris Mercer, right? You know, he yep. talks about the one percent solution. And he talks about you should take 1% or, or thereabouts, 1% of the value of your business and carve that off as a budgeted item to pay for your attorneys and your CPAs and your wealth advisors, your insurance people to make sure that you are doing the planning that is protecting the wealth, helping to unlock that wealth uh, ultimately of that business and not pay more taxes. You know, you could have, you, there are all sorts of ways in which you can lose money in the ultimate transaction transaction of transferring the value because you're paying too much in taxes. You're not getting as much as you should for the business because you were disorganized in the process and you haven't positioned the business correctly to be sold. You know, and, and I think one of the things you said is really smart, which is, I think that in a valuation process, the why is much more important, or at least as important, but I would argue more important than the what. Um, mm-hmm. You're giving you a number just in round figures, giving a client a number, I should say. Your business is worth a million dollars, the end. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. that's nice. But on the other hand, your business is worth a million dollars, but it could be worth more because of these five, if you do these five things, which by the way, you know, some of them may not be very hard to, to do at all. You know that that's that's easily worth a multiple of the fees that were invested in the valuation in the first place. Exactly. So let me let me get to some of the me- the mechanics here. Um, you know, I think for many people, especially if they're approaching business valuation for the first time, and they may or may not have 
herd of people like us that do this for a living, they probably will turn to their CPA first. And mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a rationale to it, right? They're financially oriented. Some CPAs are, in fact, uh, professional business appraisers or valuation analysts. Um, some do it a lot, some dabble. Um, and of mm-hmm. course, there's an institutional knowledge of the company, most likely, at least for some period of time. Um, sh- should should the first place or should, the, should a company just sort of default to turning to their CPA to do the valuation of the company for them? Well, one, if the CPA does have experience in doing valuations and has really taken the time to learn how to do it, I'd say, sure, that's that's not a bad place to turn. Yet at the same time, uh, I think getting a secondary objective opinion on the value of the business, the, the range of value on the business does make sense. Uh, another difficult thing, and this is nothing against you know the CPA profession, but they're very seasonal, uh, you know, and so, you know, you, they go through seasons where they're 100% unavailable because of the workload. And then yep. there are other times when they're, when they're available. So it's not really in their business model to really, to be doing valuations. I mean, and you know, in your firm, I mean, you're not doing tax work anymore, right? No, that, that, I never was. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, 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 oh, and so, I mean, it, it, you have a, a different, different side. So I wouldn't object to a, a CPA firm that had a valuation arm in it. I don't think that, that's a problem, but you do, there has to be that relationship and, and there has to be experience in doing valuations for the particular type of industries, right? You know, so you, if you've never done a brewery before, you've got a learning curve as a valuator. Now, what if a company is large enough that they have a CFO or, or a, a controller? Is, is it a good idea maybe just say, hey, you know, you're a CFO. I'm paying you to do finance stuff. You know, you tell me what the business is worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, once again, they can give you a general version, you know, the idea of, of what the business is worth. But then you, you have to look at what is the level of objectivity here? You know, I don't want as the CPA to be the person, you know, who to be telling the owner, well, you think it's worth 20, but it's really worth 15. I'm not sure I really want to be put in that in that position. And then, you know, with with people in value, people that do valuations full time, uh, even they are going to come with their certain set of uh, they're going to have bias. You know, in how valuation should be done, they're going to have bias toward industry. Uh, and there's the human factors uh, in, that you want to get out uh, as much out of the human factor as possible. If I wake up after he- on Monday morning and start evaluation and I did not have a very good weekend, uh, that might color my world a little bit and to where my my process is going to be different. And I think the same thing can happen to a CFO. So you do it. It's better to have somebody to come in and do something objective. I don't think you know having your CFO give a, an estimate is a bad idea. But I also wouldn't take the CFO off of CFO type of stuff to go through a full blown valuation because that is going to take time. And you know, you mentioned something that I think is really important, and that is, and that is the independence. Um, you know, in in the CPA example, you know, can you really trust your CPA to tell you that your baby's ugly? 
right? Or are they going to be a little concerned that in doing that, that some, the, the fees for their other services might be in jeopardy? Or the CFO might be concerned that his or her job might be imperiled if, if you come back and say, you know, your baby's ugly, this company isn't really worth very much. Um, and, and, you know, candidly, that's something that I, I address here at, at Brady Ware. Um, you know, when we receive an internal referral from an existing client, one of the first questions I, the first question I ask is, is there any scenario under which the answer that we come up with would make the client mad at us? And mm-hmm. if the answer is yes, or even, even if it's supposedly infinitesimally small, and it probably isn't, it's probably bigger than we think it is, then, you know, even I'll refer it out because it's just, it's just not worth it. No, I hear you on that. And, and I'm not trying to be self-serving for the two of us saying you shouldn't use your CPA, you shouldn't use your CFO. Sure. I'm saying as, as, as good practice, there's a lot of reasons to look outside to get that, that information. So, you know, I, I think the most common, the most common or maybe most accessible thesis for this is to have a valuation done annually because you're in a mode now where, you know, this might be the year that you're going to sell either, either you just decide that you want to throw it in or um, this is the year that, that somebody calls you on the phone and makes an offer that you don't hang up on them on. Are there are there other reasons to do it annually other than just be ready for a, a proposal to sell? I think it's going to be easier if you do it on an annual basis. It might not be as costly because a lot of the information is already there and you just have to check and see what has changed. I think the habit of it is going to make it easier if you do it every five years. It's like, you might, you say, oh, we can wait another year. But doing it every year probably makes the most sense because then, you know, I can quickly look at a company's financials and say, not much has changed here. So we're probably not going to come up with too far of a different result, but it's good to know. And I also might want to ask, why haven't you grown, you know, or why did your sales fall off or why did your expenses go, you know, go higher? You know, what's, what's really fascinating about evaluation is that, uh, you know, you, when you look at your accounting statements, your, your, your cash flow, your net cash flow statements, your gross revenue, your balance sheet, you can kind of pick and choose uh, what numbers you focus in on to make yourself feel better as a business owner. And we're, you know, we're just human, right? But the valuation puts together all of that stuff and comes out with one number. So it's kind of, it, 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 it throws it all in the mix, does all the calculations, looks at the future cash flow, and it acts as a barometer. So it, it, it doesn't allow the owner to kind of cheat themselves by telling them a story that's not necessarily true. Um, and, and, you know, you touched on something that I think is, I think is worth pausing on for a minute, which is, you know, again, the why. And, you know, even even if your business likely has remained static in value over a year, two years, whatever, you know, in, in the financial markets, they have, they have a concept called performance attribution. And, and I think that applies here as well in that, you know, why the business value has changed or not changed, I think, is important. Is it, is it because you did something great or not as great or some function of your company did something great or not as great? 
or were you bailed out by or were you hurt by simple uh, market movements? Um, and, and, and that's just something that's environmental and it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you did anything right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, you know, I've, I've had owners that have said, how much cash should I leave in my business? And, you know, I don't have a specific answer for them, but they say, if I leave this million, how does that impact the value as opposed to taking out 750000 We can do a quick calculation so they can see what, what happens there. And then we can kind of talk about, you know, does it make sense to leave it in the company or take it out of the company and redeploy it in, in other ways? So there, there are forensic things that you can do and, and pro forma things that you can do in valuation to do what ifs, which which helps in in planning for future events. Now, uh, as you've touched upon, sometimes companies will need to engage a valuation or an appraisal for something that is compliance related. It could be for a gifting event, could be for, I don't know, stock options, 83B elections, something having to do with gap, take your pick. Um, can, can a client simply take a, a document like that or evaluation and then rely on that as, as the same document for, for strategic positioning? Yes and no. And I, I don't want to be elusive on that because every valuation has a purpose, you know, and a goal. So, yeah. you know, if you are, you know, if you are doing something for estate planning purposes and gifting purposes, you know, you might want to have uh, to be able to justify a certain value for that gifting program. That might not be the same value that you would want if you were going to go sell the company or you were going to make a strategic decision. So, I mean, the number shouldn't be that far off, but you have to keep in mind that if you had a different purpose for the valuation, the numbers might be a little bit different. Now, a term of art that we we use is, is something you and I meaning and others like us is is we apply what's called a standard of value, which really just means it's a definition of value or a context of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, for most tax things, it's fair market value. For most accounting things and some litigation, it's fair value. For transactional work, it might be something called investment value or synergistic value. Um, it's... But when we're talking about having an evaluation done as a strategic planning document, what standard or definition of value do you typically recommend and why? I am more going toward the neutral fair market value because there's a lot less baked in. Now, I mean, now what you can do from there is you can say from the fair market value um, if I do it, if, if the valuation is 10 million, uh, maybe there is something, a strategic play out there that's 15 million, but it's only that 15 million because there's somebody on the other side that has a different motivation than you do possibly for keeping it. So uh, I, I just kind of stick with the fair market value because that's the basic. I, I also think that, you know, one important point that we need to keep in, in, in mind is that since there are these different standards of value in a buy-sell agreement, now this is going a little bit off the beaten path, it is important in your legal documents to establish which standard of value you're going to use. 
because those mm-hmm. numbers can be widely varied. And uh, if you have not defined those things, then we start to get into the litigation process, you know, between business partners. And this, we don't, that's one thing that we want to avoid by doing the valuations every year. You know, Chris Mercer talks about, you know, having, you know, a, a single appraiser do a select the appraiser at the beginning of the year, value the business at the beginning of the year, and all of the partners, if there's a, if there are multiple owners, agree what the price would be for a buy sell what the price would be if somebody if somebody wanted to get out rather than waiting for the event going through the process of hiring an appraiser at that point in time and then having them come up with a number that's a complete surprise so you know being proactive on the valuation side definitely makes you know a lot of sense yeah, let's pause on that. And 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 for the record, I'm a big fan of Chris Mercer's work on that. Uh, I've had his book in my library for years. I've expanded a little bit upon what he's written, at least in that edition. Mm-hmm. But but it really is an outstanding book. And I, I agree. If 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 you can agree on a on a single appraiser and get rid of these sort of dueling appraiser things uh, yeah. processes, I, I I think that's that's really a fantastic way to go. But interestingly, you you bring up a you bring up a scenario that uh, I have not encountered as much, I haven't thought of as much, frankly. And, and that is the business partner scenario. Um, and, and, and I want to pause on that because, you know, I've, I've done my share, I'm working on my, on my share of resolving buy-sell agreements. And um, as I think through a lot of those assignments, boy, a lot of them could have been resolved much more easily had there simply been a trusted party by both or more by all, all stakeholders involved to perform an independent appraisal. And then that number is just sort of there as, as opposed to waiting. And then, like you said, the surprise that when you get a surprise valuation that you don't like, that's when the next call is to the lawyers and then you're off to the races. And now, and now you're talking significant money. So, I mean, you and I own a business for $5 million. You know, we agree that the price is $5 million. If something happens to you, I agree to buy out your spouse for two and a half. And if something happens to me, you agree to buy, buy my portion out for two and a half million dollars. And so we each have to ask ourselves the question, am I satisfied with getting two and a half or having my estate get two and a half million? And am I satisfied with having to pay out two and a half million? But I'm dealing with that ahead of time rather than at the time that the event occurs. So we can, you know, and you and I might decide, well, that's going to be a little bit too rich for our blood. You know, I I constantly run into owners that do have that situation to say, man, our business grew fast, but I don't think that I have the liquidity to buy out my partner. And now they've got to, now they have to plan for what can we do? And they might structure their buyout over a period of time, because it's going to take them a period of time. And you, you can go back and look at the, the controlling documents and save people a lot of pain if they know what the, what the dollar number is going to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I also think, I also think that, that perhaps having a, having an independent appraisal done or valuation done regularly on a partnership like that, eliminates or greatly reduces partner arbitrage. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I think, I think in particular when you have buy sell agreements that call for either a formula or a specific price at which a buyout would occur, 
eventually it becomes clear to one party or the other that they would benefit very much from being on one side or the other of a buyout. And there's at least a, a financial incentive, ethics aside, there's a fi- financial incentive to manipulate that buyout because there's a substantial financial benefit to you. Um, with, with an independent valuation or appraisal, uh, I think a lot of that goes away. And, and provides for a more kind of transparent and ultimately harmonious partnership. 100% agree on that. So um, when, when, you, when you get the valuation done, who should have access to it, right? There's a, there's a document, a work product usually of some mm-hmm. kind produced. Who should have access to that? uh, Well, I think all key stakeholders that are responsible for driving the company. And, I mean, maybe maybe that doesn't go down all the way down to the bottom. But anybody that, you know, anybody that should know and should understand that this is now being used as a strategic document to guide us forward into the future, uh, they they need to understand what that is whether they are an owner or not. So you could have several key people where the owner says, I just did a valuation of my company and it's $9 million. And my goal is to get it up, you know, to $15 million in a certain period of time. And we need to work toward that goal. So anybody who's a key stakeholder in that fashion needs to understand. I think the attorney needs to understand the accountant uh, should have that information family members should also have that information as well. And, and probably the, the owner's wealth advisors as well, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to say, I meant to say that. Yes, of course. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, that work product, um, you know, is, is that, so, is that something that, that, the business owner should be walking these people through. Should the provider be walking people through it to make sure everybody understands it? Because, you know, the, the, despite our best of intentions, some of these documents can be quite hard to read, especially if you don't have a lot of economics and finance training. Um, you know, should should the, the owner sort of set aside time to make sure that they understand it and all the other stakeholders understand it? I think it's worth taking the time. I don't necessarily think it's the owner's responsibility to put that together. Uh, I don't think it's that hard to put together a a two-page summary of the valuation, what was done, the conclusions that were drawn, and some of the major factors that influenced the valuation of that and what it means. So, you know, it shouldn't be in Greek, uh, you know, and difficult to explain language, Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's the owner's responsibility to do that. Maybe it would be the CFO's responsibility if the company is large enough to have one. Now, I don't know if you've encountered this, but I encounter a number of people who already quote unquote know the, at least the, the multiples for um, uh, being paid for companies in their market. They may get that from industry associations. They may get it from bankers. They may get it from, competitors who may or may not be lying to them. They may get it on the call on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with people like that, what do you, what do you say to people like that that think that they kind of know their market multiples? Um, what, what, what's the argument that they may want to have a valuation done anyway? 
Well, uh, before I answer that question, I'd say, you know, if you're a franchise, you probably have a pretty good idea based on, you know, how, how the franchise works, right? Especially if it's a large one. So I, I think the rules of thumb multiples in those particular situations are fairly accurate. The problem that I have with general rule of thumb multiples is that they end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's not good because it's still, you know, the, the valuation is still the economics of the company. How much cash flow is, is expected to generate? How much discretionary cash flow is available to the owner? And what's the projected increase in the growth in that cash flow? And what's the risk that that is not going to happen, right? Those are the basics, right, Mike? And, and so if you, it, you know, you could have a multiple, uh, you know, a rule of thumb multiple that doesn't make sense as it relates to the cash flow, because over time that multiple has eroded into a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and it may be to the detriment of the owner. It might say it tell, the multiple might be telling the owner that your business is worth less, that your business is worth more. Um, so I think that the rule of thumb can be, can be used after you understand the value of your company and you have something professionally done. I'm talking with Doug Marshall on the topic is, should I have my business valued every year? Um, one question I want to, I want to ask, I want to make it explicit. We've kind of danced around it, but I, I want to kind of nail it. And that is um, once you, once you have a valuation in your hand, as a business owner or executive, what do you do with it? What are the next steps after you have that document? You know, I, I, one, I would, I would say, you know, is, are you happy? Are you happy with the number? Uh, I might go to, I might go to a business broker and say, this is the valuation that I have just in general terms. Do you think I could sell my company for that? Um, that you could go to your attorney, uh, your tax attorney, and say, hey, my business is worth this. Is my estate plan in order based on the value of this business? You could go to your accountant and say, hey, you know, this is the value of my company, but I think that I could be a little bit more tax efficient. What could we be doing with that? So, I mean, anybody that's going to help you make decisions about what to do for your personal planning and your business planning, should you can use that document as something to stimulate some conversation and also give some insight into, into the conversation. So um, when we talk about an annual valuation, is it, is, is that it, it, should it be treated as an updated of an existing valuation or should it be considered almost a brand new blank sheet of, of paper kind of valuation every year? And I, I can see the, I can see the arguments for both. The argument for one is obviously cost and efficiency and institutional knowledge. On the other hand, um, the argument for sort of a de novo valuation would be to reduce the risk of bias materially impacting or influencing the valuation. Where do you fall on that? I don't think that you have to do a brand new clean slate every year, but maybe every five years I would just say, let's, let's tear it all up and see what we've got. Let's look at this whole thing all over again. 
Um, one other, one other, you know, does a does a does an annual valuation make sense for everybody? For example, you know, are, are there cases where you've spoken to somebody and maybe they think they want an annual valuation or they've been told they should get one, and you sort of say, you know what, no, I I don't really think this is right for you. You know, has that ever happened? Or what is a case? You know, who shouldn't necessarily have a, a valuation done every year? Well, the business too much depends on one person. I don't think that you can really get a clean, accurate valuation. And so you're talking about a smaller company. But yeah. I think once you get into, once you get into a larger company size where it is beyond you know one particular owner, I think having that knowledge is 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 important. And I mean, and I'm not I'm not trying to do the infomercial here. But I think that there is a legitimate place for the online algorithmic valuations that are kept up to date. And as long as the operator understands how these things are working and what can possibly go wrong by getting bad data into it, you can you can have a relatively good uh, piece of information. I mean, you even have large accounting firms that now use independent uh valuation tools that are online just to confirm the stuff that they do and also to bring the cost of the valuation down for some of their clients that might not want to spend uh, you know, a five-figure number to get a valuation on an annual basis. So uh, here's, here's part of the hardest question I'm going to ask in the interview, and it's pretty much coming at, at the end. Um, if if you or I do uh, provide a valuation for our, for a company, and then it sells for a price that's materially different from what our conclusion was, does that mean that we were wrong? No, not not in the slightest. Uh, you know, un- unless you unless you hired me to evaluate what you could sell your company for in the market conditions that exist today. But I think that's more the role of a business broker or somebody in the M&A field because they have connections with those people who who might want to buy, who might want to pay a premium or might want to find a value in in the marketplace. So, you know, once again, our valuations are going to have a range of valuations that might differ by 20%. We might say, you know, your, your business is worth between 10 and $12 million. And so if it doesn't sell, you know, we had one recently where the company sold for almost a third more, but a lot of that was because it had fully depreciated equipment that with the supply train, uh, the supply chain problems, they would not be able to replace that equipment. So the equipment had significant value in addition to the company itself, the, the company's ability to generate revenue. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's important, I think, and sometimes I think it's overlooked, that nowhere in, the, nowhere in the professional standards does it say that the object of what we do is to get the right number. Um, because there's a recognition, I think, one of the things our profession does well, there's a rec- there's a, a humble recognition that there isn't necessarily a right number to get. Um, right. But at least one that's credible and reliable. Um, but, you know, market conditions are, are, are idiosyncratic. And, um, uh, you know, you may be selling a company under duress, for example, if it's under a buy-sell. Or, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong that, that, that aren't, or right, frankly, 
that aren't considered under the laboratory conditions of a of a of a conventional appraisal that you know even under the best of circumstances, I think what we do should be considered a starting point, not necessarily an ending point. Yeah, and business owners deal with uncertainty all the time. So delivering them a number that is not necessarily going to be black and white, the same way that you expect their accounting to be black and white, right? I, I expect accounting to account for every dollar down to the penny, but we can't do that because there's so much uncertainty out there in the world. But there is also a way to kind of predict what is the range of the value that it w- that is likely to be uh, there for you at some point in time in the future or right now. Doug, we're running out of time. This has been a great conversation, but and I'm sure there are questions that either some of our listeners wish that I would have asked or wish we spent more time on. If somebody wants to follow up with you and and about any of the topics we've covered today. Can they do so? And if so, what's the best way to do that? I am always happy to either have a conversation about this, answer any questions. They can email me at Doug M, Doug Marshall, M is my last uh, last initial, at marshallvelisis.com, or feel free to call me on my cell, talk, text. It's 206-605-4695. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Doug Marshall so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also check out my LinkedIn group called Unblakable's Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.